in the Old Testament, one man, Abraham, was called the friend of God. The friend of God. And this morning, we're going to continue our, story, our series on the life of Abraham and Sarah. How this family, this couple, was called to go on a journey with God. To know God, to walk with God, to experience all the fullness of life that God had for them. And ultimately, to be a blessing to the whole world. Would you pray with me for a second and just ask that God would speak to us today from his word. Father, thank you that you love us. God, thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that you've called us friends when we haven't been very friendly to you at times. God, thank you so much that you ultimately have brought about your plan of salvation, your plan of hope, your plan of purpose for the world and for us through your son, Jesus. Would you let him be glorified? Would your word be active in hearts and minds this morning? And would you draw all of us into a closer walk with you? We pray this, Lord, in the name of our great uh, King and friend, Jesus. Amen. We're crazily approaching, you know, that time in the spring where I, I begin to talk with some of our college students who are going to graduate and think about what's next in their life, or young adults who are thinking about what's next in their life. And so much of our question is finding a good place. You know what I'm talking about, right? Finding the place that, well, is your home. Well, for some, I, I talked to a young couple uh, yesterday. Um, some of you all, uh, we have some visitors today. Uh, we're thankful uh, John Gogger is here. I'm glad from the state convention. Uh, welcome, John. Uh, you've had uh, David Winter has preached for us before, and he and his brother Scott are here. I was talking to G, actually, uh, our friend yesterday, and they've gotten married. They have a baby on the way. You know, so some of my friends, uh, and they're getting a new house, and, you know, they're trying to establish their home, house child, career, um, trying to find where we're going to figure out our friends, those lifelong friends. We're often looking for our church, a church home, a place where we're supposed to be and work and serve alongside of people, a ministry that is our, well, it's our home. It's our home. Uh, it, when I was a freshman in college, uh, Michael W. Smith, a, a Christian artist and singer, came out with uh, a song that he, he was promoting on, on his uh, Go West Young Man uh, group. Some of you guys are old enough to remember this thing. But the song was called Place in This World. Place in the, and the whole thing, this one went big. This was his first breakout song that actually got onto the billboard charts, Jim. I mean, one of the few, like, not, you know, that actually got there. And it was all about finding your home, finding your place. And, you know, as a young college student, as a young freshman with your whole life ahead of you, I was sitting here, well, we would sing that song thinking, that's it. I'm trying to find my place, my purpose, my church, my home, my ministry, my place in this world. We're often looking for a good place. Well, as we continue the study of Abraham, we're going to look that sometimes what looks like the good place isn't the good place. And what God has for us is always the good place as we're relying on his promises and his guidance into some difficult situations. Just as a quick reminder, Abraham has been on this journey. He was supposed to leave most of his family. His wife, of course, went with him. A lot of his servants went with him. Uh, his uh, 
nephew Lot with, with him, and they have traveled all the way across what is known as the Middle East um, from the Euphrates River Valley in Ur of the Chaldeans all the way down to Egypt we saw last week where Abraham failed uh, in being faithful to some of his callings. Um, and then now he's moved back, and that's where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 13. It says, Abram, whose name would later be changed to Abraham, went up from Egypt to the Negev, that's the desert, with his wife and everything he had. And Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Now, I'm kind of thinking, well, why? I mean, you know, I like being together. Don't you like being together? I, it's finding the good place is where all my friends are. It's where my family is. That's the good place. I want to be together. Who wants to be alone? <clears throat> Introverts. <laughs> okay, I get it. You guys want to be alone. But for us extroverts, we can't imagine a worse place than being, you know, having to separate. I remember one of the young men who was in my wedding, one of my groomsmen, I kept saying, James, you know, I got a plan. We're going to move to New York. I think you ought to do graduate students at school in New York with me. Uh, and then later, hey, James, we're going to Maryland. Why don't you come to Maryland? One time, James just pulled me aside. He said, Mike, you're so predictable. It doesn't matter. Wherever, I always know what you're going to say. Whatever you're doing next is somehow God's plan for me too. Because wherever you are, you want me to be there with you. Look, we've got different plans. We've got different things. Sometimes finding your place in the world can mean parting company. What? I, I, we're supposed to want to be together, but sometimes it can mean parting company. Now, some of these are just because of realities in life, realities in life that just kind of pull us apart. It just, we, we, we don't get to stay in a particular locale or stay with certain people that we've come to love and enjoy. It's just that time where we begin to part company. For Lot and for Abram, it had to do with their flocks and their herds. The land couldn't support them. Now, I don't know much about anything to do with animals. I, some of you do. I am not a farmer. I didn't raise animals. I had a pet dog. Um, it, you gave it food and water, and it was fine. And that was it. Fortunately, my wife's father had us a degree in animal husbandry. I didn't know there was such a thing, but apparently you can, be, you can take care of and shepherd and uh, husbandry. I, 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 Okay, so you're taking care of these animals. I, I didn't know it was a thing. But apparently every cow or every sheep or every goat needs a certain amount of land for it to thrive. So you can calculate if I've got 100 head of cattle, I think that's a lot. If I have 10 head of cattle, whatever it is, there's a certain number of acreages you need, a certain amount of water that you need, or your cows and your sheep and your goats are not going to make it. They're going to starve to death. There's not going to be enough for all of them. These flocks and herds couldn't stay together. They got to be too numerous. They needed to spread out. They needed more land. Sometimes we are just forced by the reality of life that we just part company. Maybe it's because of a job. Maybe it's because of moving on. Maybe it's even because of death. And things, are, the, the, things are just part, we part company. This sermon, this message was literally planned. The outline of the whole series 
back in December. But today, we are actually honoring and knowing that one of our families, it, it, realities of life, uh, the Stevensons are heading back to Texas. A couple that is blessed and been part of this family and you have loved and they have loved you and they have jumped in, it's military assignment. It's, it, it, it's the next thing for them. We all know it. We all celebrate with them. We are, but we are grieved at just the realities of life that said, we can't, why, what? Now, <clears throat> I've already made several calls uh, to the president to say, hey, could we get them reassigned? So far, that has, I don't know what's happened. It's not exactly gone through like I thought it would. It's realities of life. We want our families. We want our friends. We want... I, I didn't really call Joe Biden. He, he doesn't have my number. He, you know, sorry. Jim's looking at me like, really? No, Jim. No, no, no. It, it's not true. You thought, you thought yeah, you know, yeah. I did. Uh, so I wasn't, able to, I wasn't able to do that. But we want our family, our friend, everyone to just, just keep, we want to keep it here. That's our good place. And yet, sometimes that good place means that the Lord is moving us for our good and the good of his people. He is rearranging his... We see it all the way through the New Testament. Epaphroditus is over here and then he's over there. We see Epaphras move around to spread the gospel to Colossae. We see the Apostle Paul and his traveling companions move around. We see Aquila and Priscilla in Rome and in Corinth and in Ephesus. God moves his people around to bless his people, to help us grow and to help us thrive. So in this new season for the Stevensons, we're praying for them that God would bless and make this time flourish in, the li- in their lives and the lives of their children, that this would be a, a just open door and new time. Sometimes we need to move because uh, of differences in ideology or differences in purpose or just differences in life choices. There are sometimes we just can't, I just can't stay with this career or this job or the way this particular even church is going. I, that, that's not my place. It's okay. Look what we see in Acts. In Acts 15, I want to show you a story that I find kind of difficult, actually. I don't like this story. It's probably my least favorite, one of my least favorite stories in the New Testament. It's from two men who were serving God together faithfully. They were part of the very first missionary team that gets sent out to start new churches all across what is is called Galatia, but modern-day Turkey. They begin these new churches, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, this incredible church leader and mentor to Paul. It says in verse 36 of Acts chapter 15 that sometime later Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. You see what happened? These two men had been used to start churches. Now they're going to go back and visit these new Christians to see how they're doing. Are they thriving in their walk with God? Seems perfect, seems great. Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John or John Mark, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued with them in the work. No, I, I get it. Barnabas wants to give this young man a second chance. He came along as their helper. He came along as the one that was going with him. He kind of flaked out. He kind of was like, yeah, I'll help, and then he didn't help. I'll be there with you for you, and about halfway through the trip, he, he abandons him. He didn't fulfill all his responsibilities. He didn't fulfill his commitments. Barnabas, 
His name means son of encouragement. That's his nickname. He wanted to continue to encourage this young man to thrive and grow. Let's give Barnabas a second chance, or let's give John Mark a second chance. It was probably they were cousins. Family, you know. I don't know about you, but sometimes we give a little extra grace to family. Kind of we have to. Uh, But we give that grace to family. Uh, Sometimes it's it's just about giving a second chance where we need to give a second chance. They wanted to reach out to Barnabas, or Barnabas wanted to reach out to John Mark, but Paul was like, we can't count on him. And I I think I understand Paul. Sometimes you just can't be out there on a mission trip with a guy that you can't depend on, with a guy that you can't trust in what he's going to do. Well, look at verse 39. They had such a strong disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by all the believers to the grace of the Lord. Sometimes we actually need to part because there is such a strong disagreement. There's a difference in philosophy. Which one was right? The Bible never tells us. Was it Barnabas? Was it Paul? We don't know. And maybe they were both right. Maybe we need to make sure we're giving second chances and encouragement. But maybe we also need to find a way to help people make, uh, realize that, that certain choices have consequences. And we need to be committed. Uh, when we say we're going to do something, we're going to be faithful. Both are probably realities. And here we see in the workings of the church, God's grace was there. John Mark did get to go with Barnabas on a mission trip too, to go visit churches in Cyprus. But also John Mark got to learn that, hey, you got to be faithful. We will learn later that Paul says of John Mark, send him to me because he's useful in my ministry. We learn that this same John Mark is probably the one who ended up writing the gospel of Mark, working with the apostle Peter in Rome. God had a plan for him. He needed a second chance, but he also needed to learn those responsibilities. In the middle of these separations, in these middle of these times, we're, we're, we're having to kind of impart, part ways. We can trust that God is at work for our good because our God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do some of you need to leave a job? You're like, yes, vacation. No, no, not just vacation. I'm saying there's something that God's calling you to next. Do some of you need to like separate from some relationships that might be toxic in your lives? That just you need to get a little distance there. Maybe, maybe finding the good place and says, "Look, Lord, I'm with you," but it means separation from some things. Separation from some things that are bringing you down. But not only do we have to separate sometimes, but sometimes we need to consider others and what they're doing and their their choices. Um, Be considerate of others in finding our good place. It's not just about us. Let's take a look at how the story continues in Abram's and Lot's life. Verse 7 kind of shows us why they had to separate. It says, quarreling, quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. They're all fighting over who can have the water access, who can have the grazing rights to certain land. You've got other peoples that live here. Lot and Abraham were overpowering, almost like starving out others if they stayed together. And others, of course, would cause conflict with them. Their herdsmen would fighting with each other. If we only stay in this area, we don't have enough for our sheep. Well, what about our sheep? 
And this quarreling became intense. So Abraham says to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between my herders and yours, um, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. Abraham lets Lot be the initiator here of choice. You get to choose, Lot. You take which part you think is best. You go the way that you think will bless your herd, your family, your descendants, your, tr your, your people the most. We're cousins. We're, you're my nephew. I care about you. I'm letting you take the first choice. Well, I, I don't know. Is that the right thing? Abraham is, is the person of promise. Abraham is the one that God called. Abraham is the one that God called in to say, I'm going to give you all of this land. Isn't this Abraham's right? Isn't he the one who should put himself first? Isn't he the one that should be in charge? I think we see here this incredible, consistent Christian ethic that whatever we do as we pursue the calling of God, we put others before ourselves. Think about on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that Jesus was having that last supper with his disciples, on the night that Jesus was about to go to the cross, be beaten, have a sleepless night, be mocked, be ridiculed, thorn of crowns put upon his head, all to suffer and die for your sins. On that night, the scripture says this in John 13, that knowing he had come from God, knowing he was returning to God, knowing that the time had come for his departure, knowing all of that, he took a towel wrapped it around his waist, and washed his disciples' feet. Jesus, as our example, put the needs of his fellow, of his disciples, of his pupils, before his own needs. He was the teacher. He is the Lord. He was the Savior. And he put his disciples first, showing us how we put others first. The Apostle Paul grabs on to this idea in Philippians chapter 2 and says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but to the interests of others. Now, does that mean we have to be a doormat and we never like say, look, this is not right or this is not right? It's not saying that. But it's when there is opportunity for me to put others ahead of myself, when there are opportunities for me to serve others, even at sacrifice, then that's sometimes what, well, okay, that's what in the scripture, what we need to do in finding our good place is in humility kind of saying, okay, I know this isn't what I had on my schedule today, but your needs, I'm putting them first. I'm putting you ahead of myself. There is a joy in serving. There's a joy in sacrifice. And quite honestly, there's a lot of frustration and sacrifice. There, there's times when I'm just tired. How about you? And yet, the call of God on the journey of faith to find the good place involves putting others before ourselves. It's how we show the love of God in this world. Well, Lot looked around. He checked it out. <laughs> All right, since I got first choice here, let's see, heads or tails? I got heads, okay. It's heads, okay. Way to go. Which way am I picking? I want the wind. I want the ball first. Yeah, I mean, a lot went ahead and made the choice to hopefully give himself the advantage. He looked around in verse 10, and here's what it says. He looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered. 
It was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Now, this was before the Lord uh, had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It looked good. It looked good. If I go down the mountain into the river valley, it's constantly getting water. The, 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 the herds will be well taken care of. Every, this would go well for me. I mean, why stay up in the mountains where the rain's a little bit iffier, where, the, where you could be more, more susceptible to drought? They'd just gone through, remember, a famine. They'd gone through a drought. That's why they'd been in Egypt. He remembers those days. The river valley is definitely where you want to be. Lot says, I'm going to choose the river valley. I want to go that way. I'm going to go first. Verse 11, so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east, and the two men parted company. Now Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, and Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents among the, the cities of the plain uh, near Sodom. Do you notice the two words there? Abraham lived in Canaan. Lot pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, obviously, the whole culture of the United States has changed, and our Western culture has changed, but deep within uh, our culture, those two names have become sort of synonymous with, with blessing. Oh, take me to Beulah land. Take me to the land of Canaan, the land of the goodness kind of thing. And Sodom is kind of like, oh, yeah, Sodom, Gomorrah. Oh, well, you don't want to go down to Sodom. Yeah, it seems that, that, that's the... In our, it's kind of like what we name our dogs, right? Right? You, you know, you know um, like we name our children things like Peter and James, right, and John. But we name our dogs like Nero and Caesar and that kind. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like you, we're not these great emperors. We kind of name right. It kind of went the other, you know. Canaan looked good, or Canaan didn't look so good, but it's become the name of God's blessing, become synonymous with blessing. And, and Sodom has become uh, synonymous with, with, with what is bad or wicked. Or, in verse 13 it says, Yeah, the people of Sodom were wicked, and they were greatly sinning against the Lord. That's not why Lot chose it. That's not why Lot wanted to go there. He wanted to go there because he thought that would bring prosperity. But the language there recalls the same language God uses of the people before the flood, before Noah's time, that the people's sin was so great that it just had to bring about some destruction. We need to be careful what we wish for. In 2003, there was a movie uh, called Bruce Almighty uh, where Jim Carrey gets what he wants. He decides he can run the world better. He thinks he knows best. And God says, okay, you want to be God for a day? You can be God for a day. And all of a sudden, Jim Carrey, pretty much, as you can imagine any of the rest of us would, messes up the whole world. It doesn't take very long for him to pretty much bring about a lot of destruction. Um, I think for us, too, is this idea that sometimes we think, oh, if I could only have this thing, this place, this career, this amount of money, this home, this, this will fix it all. We have basic human needs. The Lord knows that you need them even before you ask. But are we content with the, what the Lord has for us? Are we always wanting that, you know, the greener pasture on the other side? Be careful what you wish for. Be careful when you're seeking your own, what you think will benefit you the most. Because so often, that leads to something bad, difficult, or really untenable. Finally, I want you to see this in the passage. Finding your good place. 
often involves finding riches in sacrifice, riches in the promises of God. Look at how the story ends. In verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted for him, after Lot had gone that way, he said, look around from where you are. Look to the north and to the south. Look to the east and to the west. All the land that you see, I will give to your offspring forever. Wait, what? Abraham, I know it doesn't make sense. Your nephew just took the well-pastured well land, the well-watered land, the land that's going to really bless, look, look like it's going to be a blessing. By the end, Lot has nothing except his two daughters left. Abraham wandered in what seemed to be the more difficult territory, but God was showing him, look what I'm going to do. Look to the future. Look to my promise. Look to how I'm going to provide for you. I am going to give you this land to your offspring forever. Verse 16, and I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Now go and walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. This promise was not just about Abraham and his descendants who would become people who really would fill the earth. Massive millions and millions of people uh, today and throughout the ages, descendants of Abraham. But the Apostle Paul reminds us it's not just those people, but the people of the faith of Abraham who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who became also these now descendants of Abraham, this new inheritance of Abraham that become the people of God through their faith in Jesus Christ, adopted into a spiritual family. Abraham was blessed. Valley Baptists, we're on a journey together. You know we are. So what do you want to see? What are your hopes for the church? Uh, maybe a giant sanctuary. There was a, a, another man who talked to me about this. He's like, could we build a giant sanctuary out here? I'm thinking, well, we could try to fill up this one first. But he wanted to build a, a, a giant building with thousands of people. We could have lots of parking lots attendants and shuttle buses that could run you in because the parking goes so far. I can see Harold over there because he does buildings. He's thinking, oh, you don't know what a nightmare this would be. <laughs> Is this success for us? Or is this success? What I think I would want the church to be is a church that multiplies disciples, that helps people come to know Jesus, learn how to follow Jesus, and, and teaches others to know how to follow Jesus. Because Abraham was just one man who has really one son to be that son of the promise, who ends up having a couple sons, one to be the son of the promise who has 12. It multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied to fill the earth. Jesus told us to go make disciples. As a congregation, we need to be a disciple-making church, a church that teaches our children and our grandchildren, a, teach, a church that teaches all who come here and all that we encounter about the good news of Jesus and how to follow him, to use their gifts in the world, to become disciples. God has called us on a journey. Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple-maker? This church whether we're young or old, we're going to use every circumstance, every situation to help us make disciples of each other and the world, that we might multiply and be those who send out people who have been enriched to bless the world. They may not all stay here, but God may be sending, as he's sending some to Texas, maybe send some to Alaska or to the Ukraine. God, wherever you would send us. Well, in chapter 13... Abram does this. 
He went to live the great, near the great trees of Marm in Hebron, where he pitched his tent, and there he built an altar to, a, to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, as we go forward, I don't want to be one who tries to figure out, oh, how are we going to become the biggest church or the best church or the most popular church or the... I want to camp out right here in the presence of God with the commitment to make disciples with all the doors that God opens. I want to be committed to working together with you to seek the Lord's favor, to seek his blessing, and to do his will to make disciples. Right here, pitch a tent, right here, right here by this tree. Well, do we have a tree? Well, we got the nice fig tree. But can I tell you, we've got another tree. The scripture is clear that God put his own son, hung him on a tree to pay for our sins, that he would give us life. He rose from the dead to give us eternal life. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose again. Jesus paid for your sins, past, present, future. Jesus is your only hope, your only salvation. Jesus is our Savior. We're pitching our tent right here. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you come? Would you join? Would you participate and say, I'm going to be here depending on Jesus, asking him to make disciples of me and make disciples through me? Then I think we'll be able to say with the Apostle Paul about this prayer that he prays in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.